Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Our topic tonight is Fear the Lord. So we're going to take a few minutes to learn from two women who are described in Scripture as doing just that. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus 1 where we read about two midwives, and twice in their story, um, Exodus 1, it says that they feared God. So let's look there at Exodus 1 and verse 8 and see what we can learn from these God-fearing women. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. Skipping to verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Okay, this story describes a pretty intense set of circumstances, and they're ones that are pretty foreign to us. Um, But I think if we dig deeper and consider these women from thousands of years ago, um, I think we'll find they have a lot to teach us about fearing God today in 2022. So I'm going to make four brief observations from this passage about how the fear of the Lord operated in these ladies' lives, and I hope we'll be encouraged to emulate them. So the first point is, even in fearful times, the fear of God can prevail. Even in fearful times, the fear of God can prevail. And I think, you know, it's obvious from this story that this was a scary time to be alive. Uh, We see this both generally and personally for these women. Um, And if we remember um, the story of Joseph, he brings his family to Egypt during a famine. So that's how the Israelites, God's people, were living there in Egypt. And it seems like they had a period of prosperity. They were multiplying and growing. And this makes Pharaoh... Um, uh, the king of Egypt afraid and he's afraid of losing his power and um, he's afraid the men specifically will join his enemies and fight against him so he begins to progressively enslave them and oppress them make them work in terrible circumstances and then this culminates in this plan to just kill all the male babies so there won't be any men for an army so generally this is a scary time to be an Israelite and no doubt Shifra and Pua felt this deeply 
But as often happens, it got even worse. It got very personal for them. Suddenly, they're ordered directly by Pharaoh to become agents in his infanticide plan. And the assumption is, you do this or else. Um, and so while these circumstances are different from what we would face today, thankfully, do you see how it actually is quite relatable? We are aware of things going on generally that are tempting, that can tempt us to fear. Just living life in a fallen world, seeing evil around us, it can feel like a scary time to be alive. And we certainly can relate to being tempted to fear personally. We all have th things that can feel scary and tempt us to fear for ourselves and our loved ones. So what can these ladies teach us in this kind of situation? They teach us that the fear of God is what helps us to trust and follow him even in the midst of terrifying circumstances. For these ladies, it was their godly fear that gave them boldness and fearlessness to walk through this situation in a God-honoring way. So even in fearful times, the fear of God can and really must prevail. So what did that look like for them specifically? And our second point is the fear of God leads to obedience. Um, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. That's a very simple sentence, but that had to take a lot of courage. And what was it that gave them that courage? It was the fear of God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. Um, and this connection between the fear of God and obedience to his commands is something we see a lot in scripture. Here are a few examples. Leviticus 25, 17. You shall not wrong another, one another, but you shall fear God. Deuteronomy 6, 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 8, 6. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. And Proverbs 16, 6. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And I think this really ties in well with what we read in our chapter. Fearing God, as we learned, is the appropriate response to who he is. It's knowing of his love for us and having a trembling and joyful fear of him. And this compels us to obey because we love him and we want to please him. And because we know his character, we know that his commands are good and therefore are good. And I think we've seen this in our Ten Commandments series, right? That these aren't just arbitrary rules, um, but they are good commands from a good God and they reflect um, who he is and what he values. So Shifra and Pua knew that obeying Pharaoh would mean disobeying God. And the passage tells us it was the fear of God that caused them to obey. And just like them, we need the fear of God in order to obey because it's just hard to do at times. And obedience can have consequences. And like Satan's temptation of Eve, we can question, did God really say? We can question the need or the wisdom of a command because going our own way seems better. So a good test of our fear of God can be to answer the questions, do I obey him? Do I take his commands seriously? Do I truly believe that they are for my good? When we fear God, we can obey him, trusting that he is a loving father and a wise lawgiver. And that's just what we see proved in this story. And so the third point is the fear of God leads to blessing. Verse 20 and 21, so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Okay, 
So we have to hold several biblical truths in tension for this point, because in our next topic, we're going to talk about the gospel. And we're going to firmly establish that we do not earn God's favor and blessing. We don't earn salvation. These are free gifts because of Christ's death and resurrection. So we need to be crystal clear on that. And this is also not the prosperity gospel. The blessings promised on earth are not health and wealth. They are God's to give as he chooses. And we see that even in this story, that though they were blessed in one way, they still were enslaved and oppressed and poor and, and feared for the lives of their sons. So not health and wealth, but the Bible does make a connection between fearing God and blessing and between sowing and reaping. And here are a few examples. Ecclesiastes 8.12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Psalm 145, 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Galatians 6, 8, and 9, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So what we see in these verses and in our story is that God loves to reward and bless his people. And again, this is tied to his character. Knowing God and having a saving and loving relationship with him, that really is the greatest blessing that we can experience. And as we seek to please him and live according to his ways, we get to experience the joy of walking in truth and fellowship with him. And I just often think, like, where would I be without God? Like, being a Christian does not mean your life is free of trials or that it's easy, but where would I be? What would my life look like? Um, when the chapter described this week that the trembling joy and love we experience in fearing God, that is true blessing. Um, and besides these wonderful spiritual blessings, God really loves to bless his people in ways that are surprising. We see that in this story. In an ironic turn of events, Pharaoh plans to decrease the Israelite population and strength, but actually the opposite happens. Verse 21, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. So his plan failed spectacularly. And moreover, these women probably feared they would die for disobeying Pharaoh, but instead of death, God gave them families. And the phrase used here, gave them families, is tied to language elsewhere in the Old Testament of establishing someone's family in ways before God and into the future. So instead of death, God establishes these women. God's powerful providence literally turns the situation on its head, and it hinges on two lowly and powerless midwives who fear God. So when you get to this part of the story, it's exciting and encouraging. God's faithful and kind, but then we get to that last sentence. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that's born of the Hebrews, you will cast into the Nile, but you'll let the daughters live. So he just ups the ante, and things look pretty bleak. Despite God's deliverance, of Shifra and Pua, baby boys were still dying. And it just leaves you with this question, who is going to deliver them from this situation? Not just fear for the son's lives, but also just the slavery and oppression of all the people. 
And what you see when you turn the page after this sentence is the story of the birth of Moses. And this is the man God's going to use to deliver his people. And we see in this story that God intervenes miraculously to thwart Pharaoh. And because of his plan, um, Moses gets raised in his household and is trained to be a great deliverer, probably because he was raised in his household. So... um, The coming of this promised deliverer leads to my final point, which is we have even greater reason to fear God. We in this room have more reason to fear God even than Shifra and Pua. We know that God's provision of Moses as a deliverer is a pointer to his provision of the deliverer that we need from slavery to sin, Jesus Christ. So if Shifra and Pua feared God in this early part of redemptive history, how much more should we love God and rejoice with the trembling fear of him on this side of the cross? Knowing that Christ died for us, how he pursued and saved each of us, it stirs our fear of him, and it's just an amazing thing for rebellious sinners to become beloved children of the God of the universe because of Christ. So we are blessed like Shifra and Pua to see God at work in our life, in our times, but we're doubly blessed to live in this rich period where we have Bibles and church and sermons and a women's ministry and so many other things that help us understand God in ways that they they didn't have. Um, So I'm thankful for what we got to learn in our chapter this week, um, what we read of his character and his love for us. Um, And as we read through the details of the gospel next week, we're going to see his greatness as our deliverer even more clearly. And I think this will deeply stir our affection of him. So we have great reason to fear God. And let's pray that God uses um, these things and our discussion to grow us into God-fearing women. The Lord has done a marvelous work in my heart over the years in sanctifying me in my knowledge and love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is simple, yet so deep and rich. A favorite quote of mine speaks to this truth so beautifully. The scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning, and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever touching the bottom. I've seen God slowly help me understand my need for the gospel in deeper ways. I was saved as a young girl, however, my understanding of the gospel was superficial. I perceived that I was a good person, but failed to see that I fell short of the glory of God could never be good enough. It wasn't until college that I heard the word preached regularly, and the Lord opened my heart to hear and more fully understand the gospel, that Christ lived a perfect life for me died on the cross, forgave me of my sins, and rose again. The Lord continued to pursue me as I grew in the knowledge of the word. During my early years of marriage and mothering, God exposed my sin of anger, extreme anxiety, and self-righteous pride. I knew I was forgiven of my sin, but often felt that God was disappointed with me. I would attempt to do better in order to please him. Through all of this, God was digging up deep roots of my sin and continuing to show me that my righteous standing with God was based on Christ alone. 
My family moved to Knoxville in 2016 and started attending Cornerstone. As we got plugged in, we noticed that the gospel was being preached every Sunday, discussed in community group, talked about with friends, and a part of people's daily lives. I knew I was saved by the gospel, but realized that I only viewed it as the power to save me for eternity. I thought I had already learned the gospel and had moved on to learn other scriptural truths. But as Milton Vincent says in his book, A Gospel Primer for Christians, God does not give us his gospel just so we could embrace it and be converted. He offers it to us every day as a gift that keeps on giving to us everything we need for life and godliness. When I realized my need for the gospel daily and started preaching it to myself, it transformed how I lived. Preaching the gospel exhorts me in my friendships and relationships. It exposes my sin and reminds me that my boast is in Christ alone. This disbands my fear of man, helps me resist my desire for others to think highly of me, and enables me to humbly confess my sin to others and walk in the light. Furthermore, I am freed from self-focus, and with Christ's strength, I can look to the interests of others by serving and loving them with a gracious and humble heart. Preaching the gospel exhorts me in my marriage. It reminds me that my husband and I are sinners saved by grace. When conflict arises, the gospel leads me to repent of my own sin and humbly forgive Levi of his. In the midst of a particularly hard marriage trial, I sense the Spirit prompting me to preach the gospel to myself. In my weakness and pride, I thought, how will preaching the gospel help me practically in this trial? God graciously led me to 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, and reminded me what is of first importance, that Christ died for my sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and raised on the third day. Immediately, the Spirit convicted me of my sin, led me to repentance, restored me with my husband, and produced in me hope and great joy in him. He taught me that the gospel is sufficient for me and is the practical help I need in my daily life. Preaching the gospel exhorts me in mothering. Romans states that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So I preach the gospel to my children and pray for the Lord to move in their hearts. And as I receive the grace of God in my own life, he helps me extend grace to my children, ask them for forgiveness when I sin against them, and forgive them freely, just as Christ has forgiven me. Now, there are many times when I fail to preach the gospel to myself and I stumble. But God is faithful to remind me of my need for the gospel daily. He does this through his word, my husband and friends, and the preaching on Sundays. I've been the babe drinking from the shallow waters. God has taken me deeper and he will take me deeper still into the riches of the gospel. I have confidence that he will hold me fast with the gospel of Jesus Christ for eternity and each and every day.
I was going to start, before I begin, just tell you this little story. Um, so, my daughter, I just want you to get to know me a little better. So, my daughter called a few weeks ago, and she's like, okay, Mom, what are you working on today? And I said, well, I'm working on a talk on self-control. And Lauren just started laughing. And... <laughs> And then she said, do you have a big bag of potato chips sitting next to you as you work? And I said, well, like, I, did, I ignored her, but um, <laughs> I, I really, I think that God really helps me if I'm able to get past the chip aisle at the grocery store without buying any. Because if I buy them, it's more likely to be a failure for me when I get home. And I have even bought the chips at the store and eaten the entire bag on my drive home from the grocery store. So I just wanted you to know I am growing just like the rest of us, okay? <laughs> I didn't want to get up here and let you think that, oh, man, this girl has self-control going everywhere because it, it's a battle for me. It's still a battle, which, oh, well, it's probably going to be a lifelong battle. But um, I, let's pray. Oh, Lord, you know us. You know all about us. In ourselves, we are not righteous, and we need you. Thank you for the privilege we have of being here together tonight to learn more about you. We know that our topic of self-control is a lot more complicated than whether to buy potato chips or not. I ask that you would meet with us this evening. I pray, Lord, that your power of the Holy Spirit would be present with us, and that you would work in our hearts, and that we would grow, Lord, in the fruit of the Spirit, just as you would have us grow. Thank you. Amen. Um, Johnny Erickson Tata says, life is war. I wake up every morning feeling besieged by various afflictions. Now, we can understand why Johnny, who's been a quadriplegic for 55 years, says life is war. She has been a significant, lifelong battle. Yet, to differing degrees, we too face our own daily battles. A different war from Johnny's, but a war nonetheless. We can feel besieged by various afflictions. Proverbs 25, verse 28 has been a helpful reminder in my own battle over the years. It says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. In the ancient world, a city's walls were its defense from attack, invasion, and capture or death. Without strong walls, those inside were vulnerable to anything that might come against them. These walls were important for protection. Self-control is our wall of defense against the sinful desires that wage war against our souls. We do have real enemies. Self-control is necessary because we are at war with the world, the flesh, which is our own sinful desires, and the devil. Author Jerry Bridges wrote, What makes these sinful desires so dangerous is that they dwell within our own heart. We are in a fierce battle confronting sin from within and temptations from without. But God provides a means of protection in this war. He wants to encircle us with a wall 
that can withstand the battle on all fronts. And that wall is self-control. Since the grace of self-control affects so many aspects of our lives, it is helpful to focus on three major areas. Our bodies, our thoughts, and emotions. Self-control of the body should be aimed at three areas of physical temptation. Gluttony, laziness, and sexual immorality or impurity. But the emphasis in the struggle for self-control should be on the word growing. We will never fully attain self-control in all areas in this life. Furthermore, we must realize that the battle of self-control is different for each of us. One person may have no problem at all with bodily self-control, but she may struggle with thoughts of spiritual pride. Another may never be bothered by impure thoughts, but may indulge her emotions in resentment or in self-pity. As we are tempted to judge others for their lack of self-control in areas where we have no problem, let's remember our own areas of struggle and be charitable in our opinions with one another. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Self-control of our thoughts means entertaining in our minds only those thoughts that are acceptable to God. This area of self-control with my thoughts has been another one that I've had to really work on. In my pride and self-sufficiency, I've battled thoughts of being overwhelmed, fearful, or anxious. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a sleepless night with anxious thoughts about one of our grown kids. The best guideline I've found for evaluating the control of our thoughts is that given by Paul in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is such a liberating truth. It tells you what to think about. <laughs> it's helped me a lot. When we talk about self-control as it relates to our behavior, there are many areas that we could discuss. Our speech, our finances, our time, our work. I think you get the idea. <laughs> but there's one behavior that will promote self-control in every area of our lives, and that is the daily practice of meeting with God. Meeting with God is a way of acknowledging that we are dependent on his grace. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. What a wonderful gift it is to know this living God and to enjoy this kind of relationship with him. 